Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope that this message will both teach and encourage you. Here's today's message. Well, good morning. It's good to be here. It's good to see you. It would be even better to be seeing you in heaven. You know, it's kind of ironic. There's When I go to the uh, breakfast restaurant or something like that, hey, how are you today? And they'll say, well, I could be six feet under. And I say, but wouldn't that be better? Not for us necessarily. But wouldn't that be better? Because then you'd be in the presence of Jesus. Now that's a real test for them because if they know the Lord, then they can go, well, yeah, 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 you're right. That is our blessed hope, isn't it? But if they're not, you just got an opening. Oh, well, the, the key to dealing with the imminent death I'm going to face is to know he who is life. He who has encountered death, hell, and the grave, and he has won. Give the Lord a hand clap this morning. This is a great season. I love to get into Thanksgiving and roll right into Christmas because we're thankful to God for the greatest gift. So I'm going to be preaching a series. It's entitled Three Gifts. So guess how long that series is going to be? 27 sermons. No, no, some of you were afraid of that. Three, it'll be three times seven. Twenty-one sermons, oh no. We're going to take these three Sundays leading up to Christmas and talk about three gifts. And your temptation is you're sitting there saying, oh, he's going to talk about the three wise men because, no, there weren't. we don't know whether there were three wise men or not. We do know there were three gifts, but we're not going to talk about the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. And we've done that before. But I want to talk about three gifts, and today we're going to start out with one of them. But before we, I do, I just want to do an announcement real quick. The ladies are having their party on the 19th at Annabelle Wilson's. The men will be getting together either at my... I think it would be closer to have it here at the church, possibly. But here's what I'm going to ask the men to do, and that is all are invited from post-teenage years on to be a part of the men's group. And what i like for us to do is spend no more than $20 a piece. That doesn't mean you must spend $20 a piece. And guys love gizmos, tools, and gadgets. You know what I'm talking about? Here's the only caveat. Bring something that you have found helpful to you. So a box of Queen Anne's chocolates isn't necessarily hopeful or helpful to you. And so a, a tool, a gizmo, or a gadget that has caught your eye as a guy and bring that, and can no more than $20. It's fine if it's 5 or 10 I'll give you some hints. Harbor Freight, filled with gizmos and gadgets. Ace Hardware, they have entire tables of gizmos and gadgets. Lowe's, Home Depot, Walmart tool section, you can go in there and you can find something that you have found helpful and then we'll simply have, it won't be a joke gift exchange and we won't be stealing them, but we'll have an exchange of gifts, just go up and grab one and then whoever brought that be ready to tell a story about how that was helpful to you. Simple? Right. Some of you say, oh no, tell a story. I didn't say make a sermon or give a devotional, I said simply tell the story of how you have found that 
helpful for you. And I think guys tend to bond over things like that, right? And all the guys said, "Uh, uh, uh," right? Amen. All right, let's move right back to the point at hand. Three gifts, and here's the introduction. The idea of giving exists because of a gospel fact. The Father gave His Son, and those who receive are called to give. Where where has the whole idea of giving and receiving come from? It, It comes out of the gospel. Do you really think the whole world would involve themselves in celebration of giving. I I think it would be very different amongst all cultures and civilizations. But everywhere the gospel has penetrated, what has also come along with it? The idea of celebrating, being grateful, exchanging gifts, and having a heart of gratitude. The Father gave His Son, and those who receive are called to give. Let's combine this with another thought that's going to guide us throughout these next three sermons. We're also expected to bring forth fruit. His, his desire is that we would bring forth fruit and that our fruit might remain. We find that in the book, the Gospel of John. That is an evidence of the kingdom of heaven in our life. And when we demonstrate the evidence of the kingdom of heaven in our life, That is our gift to God. Think about that. You've heard that what we become is our gift to God. This is this idea of taking his kingdom so seriously that we actually live it out in the context of our everyday life, beginning with our life at home, amen, and then extending and stretching into Everywhere we go with everyone that we meet in every circumstance and situation, bringing forth that fruit. Jesus said that they will see your fruit. They need to see that life well lived and it will be an evidence of the kingdom of heaven. And that is our gift to God. For those of you that are wondering, what in the world can I give to God? After all, he's the creator of everything. The gift that he's looking for is a life responding to him and reflecting his image, his character and his likeness out into the world that he has created. And that stands not only for this life in which we live, a physical world, but there's also that unseen realm. Remember that unseen realm of people who are spectators and they are watching you. That may feel a little spooky, but think about those those that have gone before you and those that are angelic beings that are praising the Lord and rejoicing before God because they're seeing his image and likeness, they're seeing his grace, they're seeing his glory, they're seeing something about the kingdom of heaven being demonstrated on the earth. And after all, isn't this Jesus' consummate prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth, in the earth, in the physical everyday realm, even as it is in the heavens. Wow. And so as we respond to that and we realize the grace of God within our life, we then reflect his glory and grace into the dimension where we live and other people get to see his kingdom. Other people get to see his grace. So the question becomes, how can we combine all of this that we've heard as an introduction 
and live in such a way as to constantly be a giver. We're receiving, here's the principle, freely you have received, freely give. Some of us are wondering, well, what have I received? What I have received then is the gift that we're going to cover today, and I'm going to have to be Captain Obvious. Many of you are probably already there. It's this, love. This is the, this is the, the gift. This is the first gift that we're going to talk. It's like the top of the heap, A eh? number one, king of the hill, the love of God. But not just any plain vanilla love, not just a love sung about by the carpenters or the Beatles, not by Elvis Presley, not by Frank Sinatra. No, this is the love of God. This is the agape love of God, the amazing love of God, the stupendous love of God, the rescuing love of God, the saving love of God, the revealing love of God, the sharing love of God. And we can hang so many descriptors upon that, this agape love of God. So, as we begin in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 8, we get this idea. Whoever does not love... What kind of love? Agape love. That's the Greek term for it. It's that self-sacrificing, dying for your enemy, giving your all for somebody who doesn't deserve it kind of love. Now, how many of you are going to practice that kind of love this Christmas? We tend to value our presence based upon the value we feel a person has in our life. Now, whether we like to admit that or not sounds kind of crass, we do that. A stranger might get a bag of apples, oranges, and nuts. But somebody we're in close relationship may go get a brand new Mercedes sedan, right? Or a new $10,000 diamond necklace. Everything we see in the commercials tells us that if somebody's really important to you, really close to you, then you spare no expense. In fact, that often becomes a guilt motivation in the giving season, doesn't it? If, well, sir... Did you say you love your wife? Oh, yeah. She means the world to me. Well, sir, with all due respect, this is under a $100 ring. We have another one here for $179, and it's on special. It's normally $350, and look at these dazzling gems that are cut into this wonderful. And we're like, "Uh uh-oh, he got me. So am I going to tell him, well, she's important to me, but not that important to me? Or am I going to find myself violating my credit standards and doing something about this? And we've been manipulated. Every one of us know what it's like to be manipulated by that. But let me turn something on its head. We often think in those terms, but what does God do? He spares no expense and reveals the fullness of his love to the most undeserving. And he does this for all. He does this without discretion, without discrimination. We like to counsel God sometimes on the way that he gives, but when he gives, he gives pressed down, shaken together, running over, of tremendous value, of stupendous value, and he's even willing to give to people that he knows will reject him. How do you like that one? Some foolishness. And yet he knowingly with an open eye goes in, and here's the reason why. 
because we find that love is not a thing. Love is not just a feeling, but love is a being. Whoever does not love does not know God. Whoever does not love with the agape love of God does not know God. It's an evidence that they don't have relationship with Him. Why? Because God is love. This is who He is. And there's one thing we can be guaranteed of. He will be who He is always. And He will never deny Himself and be anything less or anything other. And so He comes with the best. He comes with the top shelf. He comes with the greatest. And we understand that this love is out of this world. Amen? And it's not natural. We can't expect natural people to love like God does. We can't expect ourselves to naturally love like God does. But I've got some great news for you. There is a supernatural impartation and receiving of this gift of the love of God. And when it is shed abroad in our heart, when we receive this, what does he tell us? What you received, freely give. We then become a pass-through. We then become a participant. And let me tell you something. It's great to re-gift the love of God. And here's what happens. You might re-gift a fruitcake and it's gone. You might re-gift a white elephant gift and it's gone. It may be an ugly old rooster like we used to pass it around at our white elephant gift exchanges. It was, it was stuffed. It was not alive, by the way. This love is simply not natural. We can't give it away if we don't first receive it. In order to be able to give this love and love like this, we have to receive this. And if there's anybody under the sound of my voice this morning in this room or somewhere on the Internet where our audience is growing all over the world, by the way, I can challenge you where you are watching by YouTube or Facebook, even on a delayed broadcast, that if you've not received this love, there is a love that's available from out of this world. It is supra and supernatural, and it is as real as the breath that you're taking right now. It is exemplified to us in the person of Jesus, the greatest gift of all. And here's all you need to do. Believe that and receive that. What happens in the life of a person who takes in that big idea? What a great idea, isn't it? And it's the starting idea. This love is out of this world. It's not natural. So this world shows us some hints. But only God can give us the goods. When we see love within a family, we're getting a hint about a love that's greater than that. When we experience the closeness and intimacy with our spouse, we're experiencing an image of something that tells us, hey, there's something better, something bigger, something more lasting, something eternal, something that's out of this world. When we experience our family love, our friendship love, people who are devoted to us and have our back, when we have those people that we run with, birds of a feather that flock together, and we're involved in good things together, we enjoy good things of life, when we do that, we're getting a hint of something 
that's out of this world. It's a parable. It's a story that tells us, hey, you think this is good. There's something way better. There's a lot of songs that have been written about love. The love of friends. The love of country. The love of a spouse. The love of food. The love of a hound dog. There's been a lot of songs about this crazy little thing called love. But I'm here to tell you, it originates not in a thing or a feeling, but in a person. God Almighty, Lord of glory, the creator of everything that exists. He is irreducibly so love. Amen? What a great idea. And this is the gift that we receive. And freely we've received, freely give. But if you haven't received it, you can't give it away. But once you have received it, here's another thing. This is a gift that you can share and it never gets diminished. Isn't that amazing? I used to get packs of gum in my stocking. And here was a sad fact that for every piece I took out and chewed, I had one less. Until by the end of the day, I had chewed up all my gum. I mean, I mean, it, was, it had to all be eaten on Christmas Day. Wasn't that the implied contract? No. So we know what it's like to share something and to feel the loss of giving something away because we can never get it back. But here's what is awesome about sharing the love of God. Receiving his love and then sharing it is that we never lose out on the love of God by giving it away. But here's the strange thing. It multiplies his love in us and in our world. Number two, we're going to go to the next big idea. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, this was at Jesus' baptism, this is my son whom I love. With him I am what? Well pleased. Now what had Jesus done up to that point that caused God to be pleased with him? How many miracles had he performed? How many people had he stacked up the statistics on they were dead, very dead, three days dead, four days dead, and now they were alive? How many blind eyes have been opened? None. How many deaf ears? None. Jesus hadn't done anything. He had been in relationship with his Father, growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and pursuing, or of the Lord, of God, and pursuing him with everything that was in him. And when his baptism, as he begins his ministry, there is a voice from heaven that says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, if we're not careful, we let that voice echo and die away 2,000 years ago, and we think that was good enough for Jesus. He was different, but what does that have to do with me? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Ephesians chapter 3, verse eight, number 18, the Apostle Paul said that we may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp. Everybody say grasp. Now what is grasping? To get a grip on. To grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know. Everybody say no. So one thing's to grasp, 
And what does it mean to know? This is that word that means to have an intimate knowledge of, an intimate experiential knowledge of. This love, that surpasses knowledge. So you start with a knowledge, you get a grasp on it. But then you go, wow, this is out of this world. This is bigger than I can imagine. This is greater than I have been led to believe. I've seen some hints, I've seen some examples, but this is out of this world. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, listen to this, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow. All the fullness of God. How much does God have for you? All of him. How much can you contain right now? Very little. But isn't it nice to know there's always more? There's always more. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See what great love the Father has, I love this term, lavished on us. What is the term of lavishment? Almost wasteful, opulent, overmuch. We would use the term of spoiled in conjunction with the idea of lavished. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Listen to this, that not just Jesus, but that we should be called children of God. If we're not careful, we allow that echo to stop with Jesus at his baptism and not realize that we need to continually hear that echo in our very own lives, a voice from heaven that says to you and calls you by name. Why? Because you've received his love. Because you walk in his love. Because you're striving after him. Going after him. You want to know him. You just want to know him. You're like the apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. That I might know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I might attain to his resurrection. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Isn't that powerful? Wow, what a gift. This love. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. God announced him as his beloved son at his baptism. But the world saw him, did not receive him. But to as many as received him, the first chapter of the book of John says, to them he gave the power to be called the sons, the daughters of God. Wow! How powerful is that? This love is not based upon performance, but it's based upon relationship. Isn't that amazing? How many of you have underperformed for the love of God this week? How many of you have ever in your life underperformed according to the love of God? And you think, we get into condemnation and we say, God couldn't love me. Because I didn't measure up, I failed to perform, I let him down. We've forgotten something. God so loved the world. He has poured out and lavished upon us his love because he is God and he loves. Not because you are who you are and you find it difficult. Our problem is we have a problem receiving. What would happen in your life if you just could freely receive this idea of sonship and the love of God? I think it, I know it would transform you and it will transform the world around you. This love is not based upon performance, but it's based upon relationship. Jesus operated every day in power, grasping the love of God. 
This is what did it for Jesus. You want to know his power secret? He grasped the love of God and knew he was loved by the Father. That brought him into the fullness of the grace of God. Here you thought it was very sophisticated and theological, didn't you? This is what often separates us from this. But this is what Jesus did. Jesus has never recommended to us something that he himself hasn't already discovered is so and walked out in his own life. The apostle is telling us how Jesus came into his fullness. He did by grasping the love of God, knowing it was there, accepting it as a precept, and then walking it out in experience. And he heard that voice as he launched his ministry. This is my beloved son. This is the son in whom I am well pleased. And I am lavishing my love upon him. Wow. What would happen in your life and my life if we allowed ourselves to hear that, but with our name in the sentence? Wow, it would transform us. I'll go on. But I tell you, Matthew 5, 44 says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How many of you are saying, I'm buying into this love thing till you mention enemies? How in the world am I going to do that? This love is the first best thing to give to an adversary. How does Jesus win friends and influence people? How does the Holy Spirit win friends and influence people? How did God win you and influence you? He did so not by his judgment, but by his great love and demonstrating his great investment in your life and my life. This is the first best thing to give to an adversary. Love them and love them grandly. Love them largely. Love them wastefully. Love them in a ridiculous manner. Because if you look at the big picture, God has loved the world in a ridiculous manner. He has offered his only son as the sacrifice for us all, knowing that not all would receive it. This is a theological mystery that some scoff at and have adapted the idea that there's a limited atonement. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ died for all as a demonstration of the lavish gift of the love of God. And what has that done? Yes, give the Lord a hand clap. Some of you were enemies of God at once, one time. Some of you may be watching my video right here. You're living as an enemy of God But I've got great news for you. God has a plan for his enemies. And that is to love them and transform them not just into friends, not just into close servants, but into brothers, bringing us into the family that is headed by Jesus, the Christ of God. Wow. Love is the only thing that can transform a person in a positive way. Skepticism. Cynicism, harsh words, we've seen that transform people, haven't we? We've seen it wreck families and wreck societies. But there is something, it is the love of God and the love of God alone that can bring about a positive transformation in the life of a person. Matthew 22, verse 37, as we move to the fourth big idea. Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your mind. God wants all of you. He wants every aspect of your life to be involved. Here's the one of the fatal flaws of humanity. We want to serve a God that we can pick and choose the times at which we serve him and the times in which we demonstrate who he is. But we don't can't do that in our marriage. We can't do that in our relationships anywhere in life. But we try to do it. When it comes to the things of God, we've actually believed the lie from the enemy that says, that's great on Sunday, but you're in the Monday through Saturday world now, and we won't have any of that here and now. We've missed something critical and critical in importance, that his whole plan is to reveal who he is in all of the earth. And in all of your life and in all of my life, everywhere we go, with everyone that we speak, in every situation, to pour something alive and vital into those relationships. And how does this happen? When we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and with all of our mind. This love is to be totally expressed as a response to God. It's supposed to permeate every part of our thinking, every part of our life, every situation, every scenario. It's supposed to inspire our creativity and come out in the songs that we write, the poems that we write, the things that we say and we do. It becomes the meaning of our life. It becomes our inspiration. I'm struck with how many times I've heard songs. As I was just saying that, I heard Chicago singing in the back of my mind. You're the meaning of my life. You're my inspiration. Right? And we go, what a beautiful song. But it's only about his girlfriend. Do you realize how much great worship music's been hijacked to talk about women? What a waste. Some of you are going, oh, what, what? So much talent, so much skill, so much ability has been hijacked to talk about here, mere human beings when it could be changed so easily to be lifting up the King of glory, the Lord of glory, the one who has created us, the one who is the very expression of love. This love is to be totally expressed as a response to God. This love works first in the spirit then works into the whole person, into their soul, their mind, their will, their emotions, and then even into their body. We do things like raise our hands in worship, bow our hearts and our heads. We, we fall on our face and we cry glory. Even angels are moved in their corporal reality to respond to the glory and grace of God. They do things like applaud and shout and play and bow and leap to their feet and rejoice. Why? Because they're living in the eternal presence of God and they're urging us and calling to us, don't you realize that you can express and embody and work out in this physical world this great love of God? John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A new command I give you, Jesus said in the 13th chapter of John. Love one another as I have loved you. 
So you must love one another. If we're not careful, we selectively edit that passage. We edit out the word agape in there. And we put in phileo and storge and other things. But that's not what he said. This is the new command. I'm calling you as a body of believers to love each other just the way God loves you and I love you. How many of you know that's out of this world? How many of you are ready to be like me and run the white flag up and say, I surrender. I can't love Steve Hinton like that. I can't love Brian Thomas like that. I can't love Frank Cox like that. And some of you are looking around and said, I know those three guys. I understand. Jesus is challenging us and he's saying, if you receive, freely you receive, what do you do? Freely you give. And this love that you have received, you can give away, never being afraid you'll be judged by it, never being afraid that you'll affirm them in their sin, never being afraid you're going to make a mistake by doing that, but simply telling them they have a value that God has set, and you recognize it. This love is more than a feeling, right? It's expressed in a hopeful action. Love must be an act. It can't simply be a motivation or a feeling. It's great if it starts there in our spirit. But what does it need to do? It needs to come out and we need to be motivated to act. People need demonstrations of the product. You ever been at the state fair, stock show, in the mall, and somebody's out there with the Ginsu knife and the tomatoes? They got on a headset looks much like this. Everybody gather around here because the next 10 minutes we're going to be giving away three of these wonderful knives right here. Look at this. I'm going to beat it up on this hubcap and then watch this. I can split a human hair. Never loses its sharpness. Don't you want one of these? And you know what? People start skeptically until they see the demonstration. And then what do you see? People have it under their arm and are walking out of the door because some of the most skeptical amongst them have seen it work. There are people that are skeptical that God loves them. People who are skeptical that Jesus loves them with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. But when they encounter it in you and me, something changes. They get the demonstration of the product. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts... How do you like that one? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Love partners up with faith in order to find tangible and meaningful expression. If I do that as an expression of love to them, Will they get it? Will they think I'm silly? Will they reject it? Will it mean the eternal difference for them? God doesn't hold you responsible for the results or the rejection. He simply holds you responsible for the obedience to walk out in faith the thing that you precisely do not know. It's an adventure. Am I going to lavish love on somebody and in the ultimate end it will be a waste? Probably possibly but in the end god will say well done good and faithful servant you love them well you love them like i love them 
You didn't allow performance to become an issue, and you demonstrated need to them, and that's what I was looking for. Freely you've received, freely you give. Jesus would say to one of the churches, yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. There's something about love. We get distracted from it. We lose interest and we leak. It needs to be renewed. Kind of reminds me of the old couple. They were now celebrating their 40th anniversary. The husband and wife were riding in the car. She was over against the door. He was over against the door here. A console in between them as they're driving along. They are behind a couple that are almost indiscernible. They're so closely seated one beside the other. She sits there and she turns to her husband and she says, I remember when we were like that. And he said, I know I haven't moved. How about the man that on her 20th anniversary, she came into the kitchen, kissed him on the cheek, said, happy anniversary, honey. Did you remember that we're, this is 20 years? Yes. Well, you know what? 20 years ago, you said, I do, and that you love me, but it's been forever since I heard that again. He said, woman, I told you on the day we married, I love you. If it changes, I'll give you notice. How many of you know you can build a powerful relationship on that stuff? This is the thing about love. It's best renewed. It has expiration dates on it. It goes stale. It leaks. It comes under attack. It gets hurt. It becomes callous. It becomes distant. And it needs to constantly be refreshed. And Jesus visited the church and said, I have something against you. You have left your first love. I remember when it used to be about the Father's love and your love for me. But now it's about your love of truth and your love for an argument. And if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your candlestick. The love must be refreshed and renewed through an ongoing relationship. This is the thing about the love of God. He does not change, but we do. There's areas that we change in a positive way because we respond to him. He has freely given, and so we respond and we freely give. And who we become is a gift to him. But there's other times when the difficulties of life press in, we become cold, bitter, unmoldable, and we forget how to love. And we used to do it so well. I've got great news for you. You can be renewed in your love. In fact, the best thing to do is every morning, renew your love. Every morning, realize I'm getting up and it's a new day. His mercies are new. His tender mercies are new on this day. The challenges of this day are new. And the things are going to try to keep me from giving away the love of God, they're new, but Jesus has not changed. And God's faithfulness is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he wants to renew me in how much he loves me. And I want to renew him in the sense of how much I love him. I'm going to invite the musicians to come back, and I'm going to step back into the orchestra pit with them. But as I do, I want to ask these two questions. 
This would be a great atmosphere in which to ask these questions. In what way do you need to receive this gift of love today? The author of love, the one who is love itself, very love, the definition of love. He is here, Father, Son, and Spirit. They are indistinguishable in their character. They are different in their person. But I'm here to tell you the Holy Spirit is here to shed abroad the love of God as a revelation into your heart. And this is a great opportunity to cry out to him as an unbeliever and say, I heard that you love me. And I need help daring to receive that, grasping that, and having that come to life in my spirit. Be honest with him. He loves it when we're honest. In what way do you need to receive this gift today? And here's the other question. In what way do you need to give this gift away today? Every day is a great day to give away the gift that you have received. And what happens when you do? It just renews you, restores you, refreshes you, makes room for much more so that the fullness of God can be shed abroad into your spirit. Isn't that a high calling? That's not just a pipe dream. That's not fairy dust and pixies. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he came to provide for us. That great gift of love. Honey, as you come. As we all stand to our feet this morning, maybe lift up a hand. and Thank him for the sense of his presence. We're talking about the love of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. It's just, how, how could you not feel it? But sometimes we have a hard time feeling it. It is something to be felt. But it's also something to be grasped. Something to grasp us. So Lord, we come to you. Some of us are worn smooth out. Some of us have been picked up and set down and disappointed, left out, hurt, wounded. Well, Lord, help us to come back to our first love and realize, oh, you love us. Oh, how you feel about us, how you feel the whole world, how you feel towards the whole world. You you pour out your love. You lavish your love. Lord, we need your help because this love's out of the world. We need to receive a refreshment in our spirit. And then we need to receive a fresh commissioning that every situation we walk into, this is an opportunity to take what we have received and give it away. If we haven't received it, we can receive it. But then we can give it away so that people can know of how you feel about them. They'll experience you with clothes on. They'll experience you with with flesh on. They'll experience you out of the context of our life. You'll be there with us. And you'll do something out of this world to demonstrate your heart for them. We thank you for making us a part of this. And we ask for your refreshment in this gift of love. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. God's grace and peace be upon you, and may this gift of love just shine brighter than ever before in your life as we go from this place today. Lord bless you as you go.